Hello and welcome to the Dancers Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Donahue. I gotta say, right off the bat, I am uh, my heart is so warm because there were two people waiting before the live even started. That's never happened before. Thank you, you two. Thank you, you two. Probably, you know, un, un uh, unwell. Uh, you're just waiting to spew hate speech into the chat. And you know what? I welcome you because you drive the revenue. You drive the analytics. That's what everybody cares about. They care about the algorithm. Um, I am your host, Dan Donahue. Uh, just a couple of announcements up top. There's a link uh, to my link tree below. It has all of my tour dates, of which I have Des Moines and Orange County. And it has the link to the Patreon if you want an extra episode every Sunday. I, last night, and I'm going to start the episode now. Just so you know, we're starting now. Last night, I went out. And you know me, if you've listened to the podcast before. Not much of a going out kind of person. When you listen to this podcast, you're on your way to work. You're doing chores around the house. You, uh, you're probably... Uh, Ignoring your son as he takes his first swing in Little League Baseball. Those are the reasons you listen to a podcast. Your son's taking his first swing in Little League and you go, I'm trying to listen to Mark Marin and then Dan. That's, that's what you do when you listen to podcasts. And if you listen to this long enough, if you've taken enough car rides with me, you know, I'm not much of a going out kind of person. When I go out, it's usually for stand-up. There's a lot of silliness with going out that I don't appreciate. There's a lot of nonsense when it comes to going out that I don't appreciate. And when you go out on a weekend, you have to open yourself up to a certain level of chaos, right? You have to open yourself up to a certain level of this is not going to be a clean night. Do you know what I mean? Um, as, as the chat fills... Uh, with questions which you can ask at any time. I'm going to talk about my night last night. I went to a dance club. Can you imagine me? Little old me? Little field mouse Dan going to a dance club where people are moving their bodies. People are having a good time. People are partying. They're partying there in the truest sense of the word. There's a couple of things I noticed because I'm not exposed to that uh life very often. I've noticed that people who work security at clubs are very, very intense. And that is because people who go to clubs are very, very silly and foolish. And I think that the intensity of a security guard is all you really need to look at to see how... Uh, out of hand the clientele is. That's all you need to know. If you're going out in a night, I can save you a lot of time if you're thinking what club is the most low-key, what club is the most chill, what club has the clientele that is the most relaxed, and uh, what club has clientele that will punch you and uh, call you names in that order. Which that Wouldn't that be crazy if somebody punched you and then was like, and you're a meanie, and it's like, all right, we really kind of we really capped out on top in this interaction. If you get punched in the face and someone insults you, and then you go, uh, I feel like you didn't do that in the right order, and they're like, yeah, sorry, this is my first time. And you're like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to insult you. But... 
the security at this place was like mild chill, right? They um they were definitely very stern, but no one had an open carry firearm. So it was a decent nightclub. Everybody's dancing. Everybody's having a good time. And I walk around there, and I realize, as I look around, I'm 28 years old. And now, it's so funny how, how aging happens. It doesn't creep up, or it doesn't happen all at once. Like, you don't wake up one morning, and you go, I'm the oldest person in the world. It creeps up in benchmarks. And I hit a benchmark last night. I looked around that club, and I realized I am one of the older people here. I looked around, and I realized... I am no longer the fresh-faced person at the club. There were probably, there was probably one or two 21 to 22-year-olds at that club looking at me and going, oh, that guy's a little old for here. I got brought there on a date, which is the, uh, the, the that's the way I, I get out of my comfort zone, is a date forces me to do something, which I am forever appreciative of. And it's just such a funny feeling when you experience that. When you walk into a situation and you realize you are no longer the young person there. Some people look at that with a, with a solemn view. Some people look at that and they go, oh no, I'm not young anymore. Because we put such an emphasis on youth. So you walk into that situation, you go, oh no, I'm not a little baby anymore. No, it's good. It's a good thing. You're growing. You don't want, the young person at a nightclub, you know what they're doing? They're making mistakes, okay? They're making huge mistakes. That's what, you look, you look at uh, a club or a bar and there's several 21-year-olds there. You know what those are? Those are several mistakes just waiting to happen. Multiple mistakes. They're gonna they're gonna drink too much. They're gonna make whatever. There's a thousand things that go wrong for them. You now that you're kind of an older person, you're 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 getting up into your thirties, God forbid, forties. But you know what you're gonna do? Everything right. All right. You're gonna do everything right. You know exactly how much to drink. You know exactly when you should and shouldn't drive home. You know exactly which woman in that bar is going to be a nightmare. You know exactly what's going on. You should be proud of yourself. You have sensory information now. That's what age is. It's just sensory data. You have a high level of sensory data bouncing around in your head, and you should appreciate that. Be happy about that. Sure, those young kids might be looking at you and be like, oh, that guy's almost 30. I'm looking at those those young kids, and I'm like, Oh, that kid's almost going to make the worst mistake of his life with a woman tonight. I'll take me over him, is what I'm saying. We got some questions in the chat. We got some advice in the chat. I'm excited to answer. We are starting off with a banger today. Let's go. Let's keep this energy all episode, because I love this question. Is good and evil real? Like, are things really good or evil, or just circumstances that people can take as good or evil. I think our minds, as human beings, are made to filter sensory data. That's what we do. 
That's all our brains are. Our brains are not really a generative tool. They are a filtration tool. And we take sensory data and we filter it down into its bare essentials, right? We're getting Neil deGrasse Tyson today, baby. I'm talking about quarks on this bad boy, okay? No, but that's what we do. We filter sensory data. So one of the things uh, that I think is important in asserting your humanity is realizing that in terms of just the functional reality of things, there probably is no such thing as good and evil because it's just situations. But as a human being, to assert yourself, to experience life in a human way, you need to make those delineations of what you find to be good and you find to be evil. I don't like people. Well, not I shouldn't say I don't like people. But someone who's like, it's all the same, man. Everything's the same. It's all There is no good and evil. It's like, put, put your chin out a little bit. Okay? Take a step forward. Be like, no, this is evil. I think that's important. I think those are the most interesting people in the world. Who, who would you rather have? Some guy who's like neutral on everything or some guy who's fighting against evil in his own head? Those are the people that make history. Okay? Those are the interesting ones. You need to decide what is good and what is evil. Now, people can make big mistakes when doing that. People can make the mistake of saying the green M&M is now evil because she's not wearing high heels anymore. Also, can we just say, I he, the green M&M, I'm, I'm just attracted to the color. I don't know what it is about, about green, but you paint anything green, I'm into it. I don't care what kind of shoes they're wearing. I don't care if they're an amorphous sort of uh, circular disc-shaped candy. I'm into it. Do whatever you want to the green M&M. I stay stalwart because I'm loyal. That wasn't a conversation, was it? With all the hullabaloo about the green M&M changing her outfit to be more suitable. There's all these people being like the green M&M isn't hot anymore. I don't I don't want to make out with the green M&M anymore, right? Everybody's talking about that. You know what I want to talk about? Loyalty. I'll take the green M&M any size, any shape, anything she chooses to wear. That's how I feel in my heart. To me the green M&M is good and those fighting against her are evil, and that's how I feel. That's a great Great question to start off. Let's keep the questions uh, going that strong. How do you consistently keep self-confidence? One day I have it, and the next I don't. That's that's living. That's living. Okay? Boy. The amount of times my self-confidence oscillates is crazy. But you got to look at self-confidence. You know what the self self-confidence is like? self Confidence is like looking at the NASDAQ. Have you ever seen that? It's like the, it's a stock that's an aggregate of a bunch of different stocks, basically. And if you look at it from far, far away, the trend is always upwards in general. Like over a 30-year span, you see kind of this clear upward. But if you look closely, there's a lot of valleys. There's a lot of times that stock shoots down. In those moments, that's like your self-confidence. In those moments when your self-confidence shoots down, you feel like maybe you haven't made 
any strides. You feel like you haven't made any progress. Those are the stock market crashes. You know what a stock market crash of self-confidence looks like? When you wear a risky shirt and somebody makes a, a an offhanded remark about it, that self-confidence is going to plummet. Yesterday, I had a person who worked front desk at a gym I go to say I was being annoying. That was like Black Friday for my self-esteem. That was like the 2008 housing crisis for my self-worth. My self-confidence just plummeted there in that moment. Now, you need to be able to separate out those momentary lapses, those momentary shoots down. Uh, you need to be able to separate those from your overall trend. And I think most people's overall trend of self-confidence is up. There can be big, big waves down. But you got to look at the whole picture, okay? You got to look at the whole picture. Also, before anyone in the chat tries to correct that woman and say, oh, she shouldn't say you're being annoying. If I'm being annoying, the best thing you can do for me as a human being and the best thing you can do for yourself as a human being is to say something like that to me. Please tell me I'm being annoying. Sure, you're going to take a momentary hit to your self-confidence, but that's like weight training for your sense of self-worth. you got to hurt it to make it stronger. There's a lot of people that say you should be confident every day. You should be crazy. That's, that's, uh, cra that's craziness. You shouldn't be confident. Some days you should doubt yourself. Self-doubt is a good characteristic. I want everyone I hang out with to have a level of self-doubt. I want everyone I hang out with to have a level of questioning themselves. I know a lot of performers. Doing stand-up comedy, you meet a lot of different per performers, acting, music, stand-up. There's a lot of performers that just cannot take or accept a loss. There are a lot of performers where even if they do poorly on stage, in a scene, they simply cannot admit to themselves that they faltered. I think that's weakness. I've known a lot of stand-up comics who have objectively bombed. Obje I see them on stage. I've bombed too. This isn't me insulting anybody, okay? I bomb at a pretty high rate. I felt weird about my set last night. I thought it was fun, but I felt weird about it. They're, they'll objectively bomb, and they'll do two things. One is they just won't let themselves bomb in the moment. They'll, they'll like, tell a joke, and before the audience can even react to it, they'll be like, oh, well, you guys don't like that. Oh, I guess you got, oh, I guess you got, like, immediately putting it on the audience, which can be funny, but if you're doing that constantly and it's not getting a laugh, then you're doing it for yourself, right? Or they'll do that, or after a performance, they'll get off stage and be like, that was... Either they'll completely, I mean, this is crazy, but they'll be like, that was fun. That was good. I crushed it. Or they'll be like, that audience stunk. And it's like, oh, every audience stinks. Every, every, you think every audience stinks. You think every audience you have ever been in front of just stinks. Just that collection of people happens to not be the one. You're just waiting for the perfect collection of people. It's not how it works. That ain't life. 
And that's not self-confidence either. Self-confidence is being able to go, you know what, today I'm not feeling great, but I'm going to still do something, okay? You know what, today I'm not doing great, but I am still going to order in person at the Buca de Beppo, okay? No matter how bad I feel, no matter down, at, no matter how down in the dirt I am, no matter how much pressure the world is crushing down on me with a PSI unfathomable by man, I will order in person at the Buca de Beppo. I will walk up to that counter confidently. I will look the hostess directly in the eyes. I will say, one pasta, please. And she will say, what? Because she had uh, headphones in. Because it's, it's kind of slow. It's like 3.30 to 4 p.m. And there's not a lot of people in the Buca de Beppo. So you have to regain your confidence. You have to re-up your confidence. You have to throw your shoulders back again. And you have to say, one pasta plate, please. I'm ordering in person at the Buca de Beppo. And then she's going to say, "Yeah, okay, like f 15 minutes. Can you pay me up front this time? And you go, yes. And you reach into your pockets and you pull out what you have. And she goes, we do not accept Chuck E. Cheese tokens as payments at the Buca de Beppo. And that's when your confidence needs to be at an all-time high. That's when you really got to dig deep inside yourself and say this is all i have please give me pasta that's what you have to do if you want to be a confident alpha thank you for that question that was a really wonderful question um oh my god somebody just donated money to the chat that's crazy that you did that thank you so much you do not have to do that just subscribe to the channel but i really appreciate that that's so nice Holy heck. Okay, here's another question. We got a good chat going. Keep the questions coming in the chat. If someone tells me things are all the same, oh, I will run. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll tell them they're evil. Yeah, that, that's how I feel. That's how I feel. How do you know when it's time to stop getting tattoos? Great question. It's personal. So I've had th I've had three tattoos done. I've gotten three tattoos, which I will assert is the uh, very worst amount of tattoos to have. Three tattoos is no good. You want to have either no tattoos or like a good amount of tattoos. I I look like a streetlight that a few people have put stickers on. It's not the best look. I love my tattoos. I love the ones I have. The issue I have with uh, getting more is I just don't want any, and I don't want to get a tattoo just to kind of fill in space. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't have to really worry about my acting career taking off. I have I have sort of resigned myself to the beautiful art of YouTube live streaming, So, and also podcasting. So we post it afterwards as a podcast. So I really don't... Uh, think I could get another tattoo soon unless I really get the inkling for it. When you're asking how many tattoos are too many, there's a few factors you actually have to look at. It's not just one. There's a couple of factors you're going to need to seek out here. First factor, how much money you got left. Hmm? Are we recycling bottles and cans for five cents a piece because we really need another Betty Page tattoo? Is that what we're doing? 
are we dancing in Central Park with a hat in front of us because we really need another scorpion on our lower lip? Is that what we're doing? If that's the case, I would maybe rethink. I would maybe I would maybe say there is something to be said about building up a little reserve before spending. You know what I mean? It doesn't all have to be stick and poke done by your friend in a basement for $50 and a Miller High Life. Doesn't have to be that, right? We can we can splurge a little bit. We can get a tattoo sometimes that's done by a professional in a shop where there is a at least some sanitary items there. Do you know what I mean? We don't gotta always get the stick and poke from our friend Chester. That's not his real name. He just came up with the name Chester later on in life because you could you could pick your name. That's not a big deal. He has a shaved head, tattoos on the scalp, and he's giving you a stick and poke. It's supposed to be your mom, but it looks like Betty White. And you just kind of accept that. It doesn't always have to be that. So I would say the first factor is money. Second factor. Why are we getting the tattoos? Are we getting the tattoos just to get the tattoos? That's a big mistake. Does every tattoo we have have a incredibly high amount of meaning assigned to it? Maybe also a mistake. I think you should get tattoos because you think they look cool. They, there could be meaning too. But if there's a lot of meaning to a tattoo, let's say... Um, you know, my dad, he loved cows and he loved NASCAR. So, uh, to honor him, I'm going to get a NASCAR with like cow spots on it. Okay. That, that's not a good example. Cause that actually is a badass tattoo. A NASCAR, but instead of decals, it's like cow patterned. That is a sick tattoo. God, I can't believe I just came up with that. That literally might be the next tattoo. I'm going to go ahead and say this right now. And this is this is a big, bold statement. When I make it to... And hold me to this. When I make it to 100,000 subscribers on YouTube... Uh, on YouTube? On YouTube? I can't even get it out because I'm so nervous saying this. If I get to 100,000 subscribers on YouTube, I will get a tattoo of a NASCAR with a cow pattern on it. How about that for a dumb tattoo? Huh? How about that for a silly tattoo? But let's go back to the matter at hand. Why are we getting the tattoos? Do we have enough money for the tattoos? Now, I don't have a problem with people with a lot of tattoos. I don't have a problem with people with no tattoos. I think tattoos are for some people, not for others. I think there's a certain kind of person that is made to have their body covered in gargoyles and scorpions and I think there's a kind of person that's meant to not have that I love seeing people with a lot of tattoos in places where they're usually not at you know what I mean I like people with a lot of tattoos to be at places like the bank I like people with a lot of tattoos to be at places uh like the haberdashery okay I like people with a lot of tattoos to like when they're working at a coffee shop it's great but I feel like that's the natural environment of someone with a lot of tattoos I feel like that's their natural place in the world it's like when you see a panther in the jungle it's like that makes sense I like seeing a panther at stop and shop you know what I mean 
and the I guess another factor would be if you run out of skin. But the guy I get my tattoos from has a billion tattoos, and I I asked him this question. That I'm sure a lot of people really annoyingly ask him. I'm like, are you afraid of running out of space? And he's like, no, I have so much more space. You actually have so much space on your body for tattoos. There's a ton of space on your body for tattoos. So I I think as long as you're enjoying it and you have the money to sustain it, great. If you're starting to have to scrounge money to get another Transformer tattoo, another another tattoo of Batman kissing Joker. <laughs> if you need to scrounge money together to get another tattoo of Batman kissing Joker on the mouth, even though you promised your mom you wouldn't get that tattoo again, I would definitely say maybe maybe save a little bit. Great question. Okay, here's another question. Um, I, too, went dancing last night. Oh, so you went dancing like me. That's great. And I saw a boy I thought was cute. And my quote-unquote friend tried to be a wingman by making fun of me in front of this person. How do I tell my homie that's not helpful? LOL. This is opening up a very big and important conversation that needs to be had. The term wingman has been very used and very, I would honestly say, oversaturated in culture. A wingman is someone who is there for the express purpose of helping you get a date or a romantic encounter with someone that you like. This is a person who will handle the negative externalities of that situation. They will help you solve it. Now, people who think being a wingman is doing special secret tricks to get you in that position are uh, sadly misinformed. A wingman, let me give you an example of a good wingman. You drive to a club with your friend. You and your friend go. You're the wingman in this situation. Your friend meets a girl that he really likes. But your friend doesn't have his own car because you two drive to get, drove together. And she uh, doesn't have a car. Right? So, you drive both of them back to where or over to wherever they want to go you're being a good wingman you're being a good wingman in that situation your friend wants to go get a woman's number but he's not cleared up at the bar he doesn't have his tab fixed you facilitate that for him you settle up his tab for him he'll pay you back later that's being a good wingman trying to make you seem better there's a level of that that's just normal and being a friend. You should hype your friends up. You should make your friends feel good. You should make your friends feel uh, like they're special. And you should make your friends feel like they're sexy. And I'm going to say it like that. You should make your friends feel like they're sexy. But any extra stuff that you're doing in that situation, trying to make fun of you in front of them, trying to lie about your job to them. Oh my God, Ted, aren't you tired from being at the investment banking center all day? It's not a place 
All that stuff isn't being a wingman. It's being, as the kids say, extra. So, your friend should know that while their intentions are good, while they are trying their best, and they are trying their best, and that is a good friend, right? They're trying, even though it's incredibly misguided, making fun of you in front of this person is not going to help you. I'm going to go ahead and assume their intentions are not nefarious. I'm going to go ahead and assume their intentions are not that they want to swoop in and um, give this person a big smooch, right? I'm going to just assume that because I, I hope that's the case. Let them know that their job is not in the spotlight. It is on the bench. If you're a wingman, think of yourself as less of a teammate and more of a water boy. If you need someone to be there and facilitate a social function for you to hook up with a person, you might want to work on yourself before trying to hook up with a person. Do you know what I'm saying? If you need someone to do all that for you to get a date, you got to start looking inside your heart, brother. You got to start looking deep inside your heart. There's nothing wrong with your friend giving you some courage, pumping you up beforehand, putting in a good word. All that stuff is great, but in the moment, you got to be the one to talk to this person. Your friend can't be there for you. You need to be there for you, okay? So to answer your question, I think you can definitely bring this topic up. I think you can let them know, hey, I'm trying to spread my wings. I'm trying to fly here. But this is very, very important. And I really, really want to hammer this home for you because I think you can keep this and take this with you for a very, very long time. If you need a wingman to do all this extra stuff for you to approach a person you're interested in, you need a wingman in your heart. You need to make your own wingman, and he needs to live in your soul. All right? That's that's where your wingman is. Not out, not out in the in the wild open, okay? Question, will you ever come to Washington DC? That's a I like I like the variation of the questions today because they're going everywhere from very deep advice to something very simple like this. And I haven't talked about this for a while, so I'll let you know. Um, I have tour dates coming up, Des Moines and Orange County. So let's use those as examples. I'm going to talk a little bit about my stand-up career here for a second. Very often when I announce stand-up dates, and this is great, and I love this from people, they will often say things like, when are you coming to blank? And I love that. It, It really does warm my heart, truly. And I have an answer for them, but sometimes it's hard to answer all of them, so I'll answer you here, and hopefully more people will hear this. I have an email list on the link tree in the bio to this episode. Whether you're listening on Spotify or YouTube, there is a link tree. You can sign up on the email list. It says, where do you want me to perform? When I get you on that email list, I can message you whenever I am in that area. I have a spreadsheet. I do everything 100% myself. I have no one helping me with this yet. Uh, my tour dates and stuff, I, I have a guy who helps me book those, but I promote them all myself. I schedule them all myself. That's all me. So if you want me to perform in your city, click the link tree, uh, go in the 
where do you want me to perform part of my bio. There's a lot of stuff on my Linktree people don't know about. I do Cameo. And every here's the thing about me on Cameo. Cameo is an app where you can uh, pay for a personalized video. And I'm on there. And you can pay me, I think it's like 20 bucks, and I'll make a personal video for you. I don't get a lot of requests on there because I don't think people know about it. And I also don't perform uh, promote it very often. But every time I get one of those, I, I go so hard in the paint. I go so hard in the paint with a cameo. You tell me it's Ted's birthday, I'm going to look up Ted's social security number. I don't even need to do that, but I'll do it just to make it more personal. So thank you for the question. I love the question. And uh, if you want me to perform in D.C. or wherever, click the link tree. Sign up for the email list. You'll get an email when I'm in your area. Great question. Ooh, you know what? This is a good question that branches off of something else that I said. What tattoo should the green M&M get? I feel initially the green M&M should have like a big dragon going up their side. Tell me that doesn't make you feel a little something when I say that. Tell me it doesn't make you feel a little something in your girds when I tell you picture the green M&M but she's got a big dragon tattoo going up like kind of the side and it kind of wraps around back and then comes forward again. Ooh. Ooh. That should be the next step. That should be the next M&M step. Because first they kind of uh, de- de-escalated the green M&M. <laughs> They really that's what they did. They de-escalated the green M&M. They said high heels too much. But I say that to say this. We should make the green M&M modern modern attractive. Let's let's give the green M&M a septum piercing and some tattoos. Do what I do something for me. Okay? <laughs> When am I gonna when are my tastes going to be represented? That's my question. Let's get the green M M&M and M going. Okay. I think that should be the tattoo. How do you know what you want? Generally, I mean. How do you know what you want? I think this goes into something that I've sort of felt for a very long time and I've expressed in various ways. A lot of people say, if you want to know someone's insides, look at their outsides. If you want to know someone's intentions, look at their actions. Because in our own heads... I think a lot of times that can be skewed. In our own heads, a lot of the times, we think we want to be a rocket. In our own heads, we go, I want to be a rocket. I want to be dancing in Radio City Music Hall. I want to have long legs. I want to have really nice makeup. I want to be smiling the whole time. And I want to kick. So in our heads, we go, I want to be a rocket. I want to be a rocket. I want to be a rocket. My question to you, how much do your actions reflect your desires? 
How much do your actions reflect those burning wants inside of you? Really, look look at the things that you quote-unquote want. I'm not saying the things you actually want. I'm saying the things you quote-unquote want because this is a question of definition. What does want actually mean? Some people would say it's any any one of our whims, any one of our whims, any one of our fancies, any one of the things that we generally think we want. I'm not. That's not want to me. That's not enough for want. I think what, if you want to look at what you want, you got to look at your action. You say you want to be a rocket when every night you don't stretch. You don't try to get long legs. You don't try to doll your makeup up. Your makeup up. You don't try to doll your makeup up. Okay? You're not doing anything towards your goal of being a rocket. I would go ahead and say, and no offense, you don't want to be a rocket. You don't. You don't enjoy the work that is necessary to attain the goal that you are proposed to want. That is a desire for outcome, not a desire for method. You have to like the method. You can't just like the outcome. Now, practicing stuff and working towards stuff is not always fun. But there needs to be somewhat of a desire that overpowers the lack of fun. And if you don't have that, you don't have want. If you go home after work every day and you all you do is like relax and sit at the TV, you, you know, eat your food, clean your apartment a little bit, go to sleep, wake up, do the same thing. That's great. There's nothing wrong with that kind of life. If there's a gnawing unhappiness, you might need to take some action. But until you take that action, you don't want it. You want the comfort more than you want whatever other thing you want. You want that comfort of the job. You want that comfort of having the routine. No matter how much that unhappiness claws at you, until you take the action, and a lot of people, it's like a chicken and egg situation, right? It's like a chicken and egg situation. But when it comes to things that we want, a lot of people will say you get, the desire comes and then the action comes. I think a lot of time the action comes and then the, the desire builds, right? Like, sure, there needs to be a level of desire initially, but if you're not, like, pushed to do the thing that you want, there's something that you got to figure out in your own head. A lot of people think that thing you have to figure out is you got to strive. You got to dig deep and grit. And blah, blah, blah. There's plenty of YouTube videos you can watch about that subject. There's plenty of YouTube videos that you could look at where people are like, even if you hate your life, even if you hate every second of the work you're doing, you got to grit your teeth and you got... And it's like, maybe, maybe. I propose maybe if it takes that much pushing against a stone... It might be an indicator that that's not actually what you want. And I think a lot of people are putting in a ton of work towards things that and li lifestyles that they don't even want. They've convinced themselves they do, but they don't even want it. I can only use personal experience when it comes to this. That's all I have. When I was young, young, like uh, in high school, 
I thought I wanted to be a professional uh, screenplay writer. I thought I wanted to write movies. I, then I thought I wanted to write books. And I thought I wanted to write poetry. I thought I wanted and wanted and wanted and wanted, blah, 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 blah. You can say you want something just based on the fact that you look at people who have something and you go, oh, that, that would be cool. But you don't actually want that because you don't want to put the work in that would uh, attain the thing that you're looking at. Right? In the same way, I could be like, oh, I want to climb Half Dome. No, you don't. You want to be famous. You don't want to climb Half Dome. You don't want to do stand-up comedy. You want to be famous. That's what you actually want. You might see stand-up as like a method. By the way, this is I'm not talking about everybody in this situation. I'm talking about a hypothetical person. But when I say hypothetical, there's a lot of people like this. There's a lot of people that are pursuing a goal that they don't actually even want. They just want the runoff of that goal being achieved. And that's a bummer of a life. That is a bummer of a life. Got to enjoy the process too. There's parts of the process that aren't fun, but you got to enjoy If you don't enjoy the process, you don't enjoy the product. Like there's tons of people who are doing stand-up comedy. I mentioned this in one of my uh, chore talk videos. There's a lot of people right now pursuing stand-up comedy that don't actually like it. They don't like it. They don't like performing. They don't like the things that come with it. But they're still doing it. They're still going after it because they want to be famous. And they want... Like, they want whatever... uh, Acumen, accolades, articles written about them, all that, whatever. I've met these people. And it's sad. I A lot of comics will look at those people with like a level of uh, anger. Because they're like, why are they taking all the stage time? They don't even like it up there. They're not even getting laughs. I really don't look at it that way. I really, really don't. Believe me. I, I have in the past. But I've really come around. And maybe it's now that I'm headlining more. And doing a little bit more stand-up. And I'm, I have access to stage time. Which I'm forever grateful for. Um... I look at those people and I go, that really stinks. First of all, none of their souls are happy. None of their souls are happy. There's a big uh, trope of the depressed comedian, right? And uh, there there are a lot of depressed comedians. Tons, 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 tons. But every one of them that I know that was like a real comic, like comic, comic, they're the stand up is kind of like the shining beacon in their lives for the most part. There's people where the stand-up is the really bad part that they hate. That is a bummer of a life because there's so many hard things when it comes to pursuing stand-up comedy. So many difficult things. You have to take drives for no money that are crazy to the normal person. I'm doing okay right now. Like, obviously, I'm not making a crazy living, but I'm making, like, the first... I've This is the first year I've made money doing stand-up. This is the first year I haven't lost money doing stand-up comedy. The first one. I've been doing it for seven or eight. The first one I haven't lost. And even now, 
if you called me and you were like, there's a good show, it's a three-hour drive away, and you don't get paid for it, I'd probably do it. If I didn't have another show that night, I would probably do it. In fact, right now, there are shows in the OC where I get 20 minutes of stage time. It's usually an hour and a half to two hours to get there, and I don't get paid for it, and I do them pretty often. I do them whenever I don't have a regular show booked that night. And I, I don't do that because I like the driving. The driving kind of stinks. I don't do it because I like waiting for the show. I don't do it. Be, I, it's, it's, I love the process. of The stand-up outweighs all of that tenfold. I can't imagine doing this and having all those other like annoying things that come with it and you also don't like it. Ugh. Sorry to go off on a little rant. Um... And I do apologize for being a little bit too inside baseball, but like stand up is just kind of what I know. It's what I've been doing for, uh, uh, I mean, the better part of my, I mean, all, all of my twenties essentially. And it's my reference point for a lot of these things. But I hope that if you if you don't uh, want to do stand up, which God bless you if that is the case, um, I hope that you can, in some way, take an analogy from what I'm saying. And apply it to your life because there's a real hell to pursuing something full bore that takes all of your time, all of your spiritual energy, and you don't actually have passion for it. That is a bummer because we're told to pursue our passions. It used to not be that way, right? In the 40s, 50s, our parents, our parents, if they had passion, they had to hide their passions from their parents. They had to hide their passion from their parents like it's paraphernalia. Your parent would walk in on you, you know, in the living room getting ready for school, and they'd be like, did I find a passion under your bed? <laughs> your parents would walk in on you and be like, do I smell you thinking about a passion? But things change. A lot of my, kids my age, we were told to pursue our passions. Now we're 30 and 40. Right? We're in our 30s and 40s now. The kids who were told their whole lives, pursue your passions, pursue your passions. A lot of us felt pressured to get passions in the arts field because for some reason we're in a dumb system where those are the only quote-unquote passions that are seen as actual passions. It's like, you, no, you can have passions for anything, dude. Anything. My mom uh, will still do construction jobs on the house. They're making, they're renovating the house right now, her and her husband. And it's because she has a passion for building. She was a bricklayer when she was younger and she still has a passion for building things. She has artistic passions too, but that's something that just lives in her heart. And that's a beautiful thing. And it doesn't have to be art. And a lot of people, I think, got uh, this sense of like, Oh, it's bad if I don't pursue art. It's bad. And we lost sight of one very important thing. And if I can if I can hammer this home with you people, I think I've accomplished some sort of a goal here. Art is stupid. I love art. I love all forms of art. I love people who pursue art. I think art is great. And I also think it's stupid. It's frivolous in nature. Okay? And if you're pursuing it, God bless you. But you have picked a stupid pursuit.
I'm happy pursuing something very stupid. But every day I remind myself, this is stupid and I should be doing something better. Every day I choose not to. Every day I wake up and I make the choice, uh, I will not get a... And I'm not saying this to be like inflammatory or whatever. I really do mean it. Art is stupid. I love it. I love pursuing it, even though it's stupid. I pursue art in spite of its stupidity, but we really kind of lost the thread as a society, I think. And we really made art this thing that it's not, I think. This is just my opinion, but I really do think that we went a little overboard with how... Art is a great, like, little thing to have, but it's not the it's not the meat of everything. It can't be. It's supplemental. Enjoy art as a supplement. Someone added to the chat, I agree, I have yet to find the desire that will pull me away from my comfort zone, and it's frustrating, but you're right. I'm not putting much effort into finding it either at this point. Listen to me. Listen to me. Maybe your comfort zone is great. We're we're all America is a society of forced disappointment because we're all constantly trying to sell things to each other. We're all constantly trying to make people buy stuff. That's just the nature. We're a, we're a country of salesmen. And to sell, you need to create want, desire and by proxy disappointment. So a lot of people are looking at their lives, which are good. If you're comfortable and you're working a job that you like and you have people around you that you like, your life is good. It's just good. It could be better. Sure, it could be better, but your life is good. We forget that because we're constantly pushed into this mindset that your life isn't good, that your life is bad, that you need this or that or this or that. You know, if you're in my position and you're doing something that you are passionate about, but you're not making a ton of money, it's like, well, you need to be making more money. You need more. You need better. You need your car to be better. You need your apartment to be better. You need everything to be better. And if you're working a good job or making a steady amount of money, but you don't have like an artistic pursuit, then it's like, ooh, you need an artistic pursuit. You know, your life isn't worth it. If you're, it's both are so stupid. Sure, you can find stuff you're passionate about. You don't gotta quit your job over it. Have a hobby. Your 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 hero's journey or whatever you call it could very well be at your job. Maybe get more passion for your job. Maybe find out that your job is actually really fulfilling. It's crazy, man. It's crazy how much people are pushed to try and be or try to like they're pushed into unhappiness. They're pushed into want. And it stinks. Because I think we're missing out on a lot of people actually pursuing the things that they would really like and really be good at. Because I don't think you can fail at something you're at. I, I feel that way about, uh, and I'm so sorry, to I, I will not talk about comedy ad nauseum. Uh, but I, just one more thing. That's how I feel about, it's like, I've, I've, I did it for seven years and I failed. I'd hear a lot of artists talk about, like, man, the first time I went on stage, I killed it. I was hearing a interview with a rapper YG, and he was like, from the moment I started rapping, 
everybody saw that I had huge potential and that I was really good. That's cool. It is truly, truly cool. That was not my experience at all. At all. I was not good at all when I started. I think I'm still kind of behind the eight ball in my development in a way as a stand-up comic. But I just love it. I love it. I love the weird stuff. I, I just love it. I could stop making money tomorrow on everything. Every platform could demonetize me. I would still do stand-up. I don't think it's fair to tell yourself you need something like that when it comes to an artistic outlet. Everyone's life journey is so different and special. And before, I think we were all pushed into this mindset where it's like, you got to get a job, you got to get a family, you got to get a house, and bop, 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 bop. And honestly, we could push that narrative because we had enough houses that you could afford. But now it's not like that. Look, look how the message changes based on our circumstance. Now that you can't afford a house, now that you... It's harder to find a family. It's harder to, like, raise a family. It's harder for all that stuff to happen because of monetary restraints, because of inflation, because the minimum wage is so low, because people aren't getting enough money. Now the narrative's changed. It's like, you need to be a starving artist or your life is meaningless. It's like, hey, no. None of that's true. Everybody's got a different thing going on. It's just weird. Trying to push people into those sorts of uh, boxes. It's very weird and very strange. I wanted to talk about this. We, we dried up with questions in the chat, which is fine. If you have any, go ahead and throw uh, your questions or advice that you want into the chat. But I want to talk about this. <sighs> Last night I had a show. It was in beautiful Playa Vista, California. And... I noticed myself having negative self-talk before the show. And this happens all the time. I think it happens most of the time when we kind of are unaware of it. Like, I think we'll have negative self-talk, and that negative self-talk will turn into emotion before we realize what's happening. And then we're not sitting there going, oh, I'm thinking really negative things about this person. We're sitting there going, I hate this person, right? And that's why I, I was sitting down. I was watching the audience. I was watching the stand-up uh, stand happen. And I had a lot of really weird negative thoughts. I was having negative thoughts about myself, about my abilities. I was having negative thoughts about like some of the jokes of the other comics on the show, which all the other comics were great and their jokes were great. This is this was completely unfounded. This is completely negative. This is completely not the kind of mindset you want to be in. But I was just having such negative self-talk. And you know what I did and it worked? And I don't know if this is something that really works or something that uh, you could use in your life, but it really did help me. So I'll share it with you at the end here. I, I wasn't uh, going up for another like 30 or 40 minutes. So I walked outside. Just that is huge. If you're in like a bad headspace, if you're not feeling great, going outside is sick. Dude, you fucking, you feel the wind. You 
You feel the breeze. Oh, the breeze. You see a tree. You see a squirrel. <sighs> Look at that little guy. He's not worried about what he's going to say on stage. He's worried about a hawk about to eat his brain out of his head. And then I wa there was a parking garage across the street. So I go to the parking garage. This is, again, this is going to be an insight into how psychotic I am. I go to the parking garage, and it's like seven flights up. And I just, I just start buzzing up and down those flights of stairs. I start walking up, walking down, walking up, walking down. And really getting kind of tired and getting probably a little bit too tired. And I really do hope no one looked across the street while they were at the show because there were windows facing the parking garage. I hope nobody saw me doing like a Rocky montage before my set because that's not the kind of image I want to portray to the world. But it did make me feel a lot better. Getting into my body really, really did help me feel a lot better. And so if, if you're ever like feeling that way, if you're ever feeling like really kind of pent up or like you have negative thoughts or like you're anxious and stuff, getting into your body like that, even if it is something as simple as just finding a set of stairs and going up and down a little bit, it was really soothing for me. So maybe it'll be soothing for you. I don't know. We got one question. I think this might be the last question. Uh, if you if you want your questions uh, definitely answered, join the Patreon. I do a special live Sunday for a smaller audience, and so I can take more time to appreciate every individual question. Uh, the Patreon is in the link tree. Dan, please answer my question about compliments. I have a hard time taking them when they are directed at my appearance versus my profession. I assume what you're saying is when people compliment your appearance, you're a little uncomfortable, and when they compliment your profession, it's less. You know what? I'm going to answer this in two ways. And the first way I'm going to answer it is by agreeing with you. I think that it's a lot easier answering compliments about your profession because it's something you probably maybe work at a little bit more. Even if you do work at your appearance, a lot of your appearance is sort of just based on whatever traits you have. Whatever traits you're born with, right? But your profession is based on so many different things it's based on hard work you've put in it's based on the choices you've made so I understand that I understand why your appearance is uh it's hard to accept a compliment about if someone like you know if, I, I hey not do my own horn sometimes people will call me handsome that's a, sort of a thing where I'm like oh, thank you I mean it's nice to hear that but uh, I didn't really work at that too much right I rolled out of bed that's about it that sounds so, not to be conceited. I'm not trying to be conceited there. I'm just saying, like, I didn't put a lot of work into my appearance. So it's hard to accept a compliment about something you don't directly work on very hard. But here's what you have to do. To accept a compliment, this is the best method, I think. Don't think of it from your perspective. Think of it from their perspective. If someone gives you a compliment... Think about them giving you the compliment. Why would someone give you a compliment? It's because they want to connect with you in a positive way. Don't even think of don't even think of your qualities. Don't even think of your traits. Don't even think about yourself. Think about them. Think about them giving you a compliment. Because there's a risk in giving a compliment. There is. That's why so many people complain about getting bad compliments. A lot of people get really bad compliments. It's because the person who gave you a compliment took a little risk. And if 
this is a person you appreciate and you think they give you a compliment in good faith, it is your duty as a fellow human being to give them a level of validation. Now, 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 now. If they are giving you a compliment in bad faith, meaning they're giving you a compliment because of X, Y, and Z, they have a nefarious goal with you. They're trying to bed you. If they're giving you a compliment to try and make you uncomfortable, to try and demean you, which can be a form of compliments. Like, you know, catcalling is a great example of that. Sure, it's quote-unquote compliments, but it's those compliments are given in bad faith. So that's something you don't want to reward. You don't want to. But, but again, the answer to that is look at it from the perspective of the person giving the compliment. When a guy is, like, yelling at you from the street as you're walking by, from his perspective, he's clearly being, like, a weird a uh, creepy guy. So don't don't give that credence. I mean, unless you're into that sort of thing. But I would say still don't. If someone's at a party and they're just trying to connect with you, they're just trying to have a conversation, they give you a compliment in good faith, think about it from their perspective. Give them what you would want if you were in they, their position. Thank you so much. Oh, then, thank you. That means a lot. You look handsome today. Oh, thank you. I, you know, I, uh, I washed my hair for the first time in a month. <laughs> anyway, so that that was the last question. Um, if you have any more questions, you can comment them in the comment section here. You can email me at dancerspodcast at gmail dot com, all one word. Uh, again, Patreon is right there. If you don't want to join the Patreon, please just subscribe to this means a lot. I appreciate everyone. You're great. You're beautiful. You're kind. And uh, I'm going to keep coming out with these. These are really fun to do. That's why I've been coming out with so many uh, new podcasts is because I've really enjoyed them. So thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Again, please subscribe. Have a good one.